Christmas is going to be different this year, perhaps very different, but it's my sincere hope and belief that by taking tough action now, we can allow families across the country to be together. You are listening to the Guardians of Reality. Coming up on today's show. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Incompetence, delays and blame. The UK heads into lockdown. And in the US, with election day upon us, what should we expect in the next few days? We begin with the entirely unsurprising news that Boris Johnson has announced the UK will be going into a second lockdown. This lockdown will begin on November the 5th and will continue until at least December the 2nd. Here is Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer responding to the latest example of government incompetence. If what they announced yesterday had been announced when I said it should have been two or three weeks ago, we could have had the lockdown and schools shut because of the natural break of half-term. And... and People, you know, people will be waking up this morning and thinking, how on earth did it get to this? The government has to keep its side of the bargain here because if they don't use this time to fix, test, trace and isolate, then I think the 2nd of December will be a review date, not an end date. And in addition, here's Michael Gove explaining what everybody already knows is going to happen in the next few weeks. If we ensure that all the steps that we're taking now are taken appropriately, we'll have an opportunity in advance of December the 2nd, to review the progress that we're making. And in advance of December the 2nd, we can then communicate to those areas where uh, some restrictions may be required, what they will be, and also other areas where we've, we've managed to beat back the virus, we can explain where liberties can be restored. It seemed obvious to everybody that wasn't in charge that a second lockdown was coming. The failure here is that the people running the country were too slow to react yet again. How many more opportunities does the government need to get it right? How many more examples of failure do they need before they learn their lessons? They don't have the best interests of the people in the country at heart. It baffles me that anyone can be this incompetent. Throughout the entire process in 2020, the UK was in a position to look at other countries knowing that that's where they would be in two to three weeks' time. And yet the UK still failed to implement the basic measures and precautions to protect the people, particularly the most vulnerable. One of the few saving graces is that they did provide some financial support for most kind of employees, but it didn't cover everybody, as always. So many people are struggling in many different countries throughout this world. But there are examples from other countries who are doing it better than the government are in the UK. Why can't they learn from those examples? While I don't disagree that a second lockdown is necessary, it's really difficult for people to accept this when they've already sacrificed so much. People have lost earnings. Children have lost valuable educational time at school. People have lost family members 
who had to die in hospitals alone. So many people were forced to sacrifice so much because of the mistakes of so few. There'll be no apology. The plan was never to apologise. The plan was always to shift blame. To use scapegoats as they always have done. The decades of blaming other people for the failures of government. Whether it was single mums, teenagers, immigrants, anyone with any kind of variable that you look at as a difference to your own in-group. The coronavirus has demonstrated, has shone a light on the epic failings of our society. It's exacerbated the vulnerability of members of our communities. But why aren't we looking out for people in our communities that need help? While it's fantastic that communities have come together in support of one another, that should be in addition to the support from your government. If you truly want the population of a country to get behind your regulations and support the changes to the way people live in order to prevent the spread of the virus, you need to do more to support those communities. You're not doing enough to support the children that are learning in drastically different environments to what they were used to. Is the quality of their education sufficient? How is this going to affect them in the long term? It's not their fault, so why are they being punished? Why is it so difficult to do something as simple as guarantee free school meals for children that come from families that can't afford it? Why are you squabbling about insignificant amounts of money? The United Kingdom is one of the richest countries on this planet. And you're haggling over how much money to give little school children so that they can have some food to eat at lunch during half term. It takes a footballer, Marcus Rashford, to draw attention to this issue. And all credit to him for doing that. Is this the level that the UK is operating at now? That to be awarded an MBE, all you need to do is say that, you know, kids shouldn't be hungry. Is there no one in government with the with the ability to look to the long term, that the benefits of a good education for a child will benefit the entire country for generations to come? I'm willing to bet that there is, but that they're more comfortable making the argument that that same money could be used in a better way. So they do care, really. It's just that getting kids some lunch during half-term isn't the best way to help them right now. Which is a completely flawless argument if you don't think about it at all ever. Now let's talk about the US election. With 96 million people already having cast their vote before election day, what should we be watching for in the few days that will follow? As results start being declared, I'm going to be focusing on Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. Now Pennsylvania will possibly be one of the final states to declare enough of the votes counted to get an accurate picture of what the result might be. 
So we're hoping for a situation where Pennsylvania might not be necessary because any delay in absolutely confirming a result will only give Trump and his team of lawyers the ideal situation to sow doubt into the legitimacy of the election result. We already know the likelihood of a, of a red mirage where Trump appears to win and then that changes gradually as postal votes are counted. So we just shouldn't entertain any kind of crap from Trump and his team who will use any hint of uncertainty to their advantage. We should also, of course, not ignore the fact that there is a chance Trump might actually win. Biden is a weak candidate, and the Dems haven't offered much more than they did in 2016, except a dash more voter shaming. So what do I expect? A resounding victory for Biden. But the very fact that I'm nervous says everything I need to know. So let's have a listen to one of Joe Biden's final campaign messages. I started this campaign saying we're in the battle for the soul of the nation. I believe that even more deeply today, who we are, what we stand for, and maybe most importantly, who we are going to be, it's all at stake. Characters on the ballot, the character of the country. And this is our opportunity to leave the dark, angry politics of the past four years behind us, to choose hope over fear, unity over division, science over fiction. I believe it's time to unite the country, to come together as a nation, but I can't do it without you. So I'm asking for your vote. We need to remember, this is the United States of America, and there's never been anything we've been unable to do when we've done it together. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. It's a wonderful, warm campaign message full of positivity, motivation, unity, rainbows and unicorns. A message that America can be anything it wants to be, and America can do anything it wants to do, so long as it's not Medicare for all and free college. But it's a start, and it's certainly an improvement upon Trump. The success of Biden's campaign will hinge on how much the voters accept the narrative that orange man is bad and the Democrats offer something better. Biden hasn't been able to effectively communicate that throughout the campaign trail, but there have been moments where some of his surrogates have been able to do that job for him. Here's Michelle Obama with some of her closing speech from the DNC. Because I know we don't have the luxury to assume that things are going to turn out okay. We cannot afford to withhold our votes or waste them on a protest candidate. One of these two men will be president. And only if we vote for Joe Biden with power and with passion will our voices even have a chance at being heard. Because folks who are perfectly content with the status quo, who are quite happy with what's been going on these past four years, trust me, whether they say it out loud or not, they will vote too. And just in case there was any doubt in anyone's mind about who will be to blame if Biden doesn't win, here's Obama at a rally in Philadelphia. We've got to turn out like never before. 
we cannot leave any doubt in this election. Because you know, he, the President's already said, if this is even close, I'm going to just make stuff up. He's already started to do it. So we can't have any doubt. We can't be complacent. I don't care about the polls. There were a whole bunch of polls last time. Didn't work out because a whole bunch of folks stayed at home and got lazy and complacent. Not this time. Not in this election. We don't expect Barack Obama to come out at this point holding his hands up, accepting the blame and showing that he's learned from his mistakes, but we, we also don't expect him to keep pounding away at the same message of voter shaming and coming out with expressions like blaming the 2016 result on complacent people and the folks that stayed home. An article in the Washington Post from December of 2016 stated that 1.7 million Americans went to the polls to vote but didn't select a candidate for president. They're called undervoters. This was more than double than the previous presidential election. While we don't know the exact reasons why people chose to behave that way, we can infer that there was a significant amount of people that wanted to participate in the voting process but were dissatisfied with the choice presented to them, so much so that they chose not to vote for either Clinton or Trump, or any other candidate available. That was their choice. It's shameful to call them lazy or complacent. The only argument of complacency that can legitimately be used here is against the Democratic Party, who didn't consider those voters important enough in 2016 and arguably still don't, because they offer them so very little this time around. The article in the Washington Post also goes on to explain that in Michigan, for example, the margin of victory was 10,704 votes, and the number of undervoters was 75,335 people. So if just a small fraction of those undervoters had selected Hillary Clinton, she would have won that state. Obama needs to take responsibility for his visit to Michigan during the Flint water crisis, where he let down the people of those communities who expected him to come in and save them, to save their children from the poisoned water. But instead, he gave his speech, had a couple of sips of water, and returned to Washington, leaving the community devastated and disappointed in their president. Obama says that the last four years have been exhausting and that voters can choose Biden, sit back and relax. No thank you. The fight starts when Biden wins. Obama's not wrong when he says the last four years have been exhausting, but they're exhausting for different reasons to what he's thinking about. They're exhausting because, from a progressive point of view, you're looking at the same people making the same mistakes a slow-motion car crash that we all knew was going to happen. The same dirty tricks that pushed Bernie out. The coming together of the neoliberals to quash his efforts to bring about real positive progressive change. That's not to say that the progressive movement, and Bernie Sanders in particular, haven't moved the needle. The discussions that are taking place in the mainstream now are thanks to people like Bernie Sanders.
Let's wrap it up with a really, really tiny victory today with the thought that if Biden does lose, at least the excuses have already been made. It'll be Russia, Bernie Sanders, Russia, Jill Stein, and uh, yeah, Russia. This is going to be a very interesting week, and we'll see you on the other side. Thank you for listening.